All right. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Scott, and a very special guest, somebody who we have talked about on the podcast quite a bit, somebody who we really appreciate, who has been instrumental in growing our business this past year. We've got Colin Dorner on the podcast. Colin, what is going on, man? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. We are super, super pumped. My first time meeting you in person was yesterday, which was really, really cool. We've just been working virtually uh, the whole past year. Um, So I am really excited to get into this, man. How are you feeling, Scott? I'm feeling good, dude. I'm happy yeah. you're here, Colin. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel great. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a great year, and uh, it'll be fun to talk about it. Cool. Well, let's jump into it. Um, you joined us last, uh, really full time last January. You know, working with us. Mm-hmm. You know, very uh, intentionally, I would say. But you really right, started helping right. our business back at the beginning of or end of October, beginning of November. You were giving us a lot of help on CRMs, back-end mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Can you give us some info kind of on uh, what you've done leading up to now in your professional life? Sure. Yeah, just a quick overview. Um, so kind of starting most recent working back, I was, uh, before before being a lead manager, I was working in a revenue operations company. And for those of, who, those of you who don't know what that is, it's sales and marketing combined. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of looking at simply, hey, how do we maximize sales? How do we maximize marketing? You kind of look at how do you maximize revenue? And you work backwards from there. So I had the, the, the unique pleasure of doing that for almost a year and working with project management there. Um, and then basically before that, I was in the Army. I was an infantry officer uh, in the 82nd Airborne and uh, most of the time at Fort Bragg, a little bit of time in Afghanistan. And then uh, before that, I uh, went to school at West Point where I studied economics. And that's kind of the quick, uh, quick overview. Very quick. I'll give, you the, I'll give even a quicker overview. He's a certified badass. Yeah. <laughs> certified badass. Yeah. Well, when we, when we brought Colin onto the team, we knew our safety was now secure. Uh, so, Colin, you, yeah. you, uh, you've always been remote. It's been uh-huh. a unique experience having somebody uh, so successful, so close to us, who's never lived in the market that we're in. Um, you know, can you give us an explanation? Right now, you're in North Carolina. Your yeah. family just recently moved. Yep. Um, what's it kind of been like kind of getting into real estate remotely? That's a great question. I think that real estate is first a people business. And people are really the same everywhere. Now, obviously, there's more to real estate than simply people. But the heart of it is that. So I think that really gives a unique opportunity for everybody to get involved if you like dealing with people. Um, which I do. I absolutely love people. So I, I think that the being remote has been a barrier and a challenge in some ways. Uh, but with a strong team who's local to the market, it's been almost no barrier at all. You know, if I, you know, if we were just trying to do something completely remote where none of us were, I think that could be a little bit challenging. But entering a team that already had strong fundamentals and strong market knowledge remotely, mm-hmm. liking to talk to people, it's been actually, I'd say, pretty smooth from my perspective. Yeah, I would say that your success is definitely yeah. shown. Very few people, um, I think that you and I know, uh, within their first year have participated in locking up as many deals as you have. And even the deals that we haven't locked up, the learning lessons that we've been able to uh, you know, document, especially through your steadfast note-taking and um, systems development, you know, we've really had an opportunity to kind of share 
the good, the bad, and the ugly on your calls and understand yeah. what's going yeah. right, what's not. And yeah, I think you've, you know, you've taken the remote aspect and, and kind of actually made it a blessing. Right, right. So, Colin, I know I'm curious because I think I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. About a year ago from now, right, is where you, like Scott mentioned, started helping us with like uh-huh. the back and stuff with your strengths, right? With our CRM, yep. uh, with our sales pipeline, how really the businessy part of it uh-huh. works on our back end. Um, and then really, I think we were talking about it yesterday. January was maybe really the first introduction to being on the phones, right. grinding with the phone calls. What was your experience in real estate prior to that? I had no experience in real estate at all. <laughs> so you well, owned a house. We, okay. We did. Yes, we, we did own a house and that, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't discount that because I actually opened my eyes to real estate as an asset class uh-huh. that I never understood before, despite spending four years studying economics. So. Gotcha. So in the span of, I mean, from January starting making calls, right? I, in the couple months before that, I mean, helping us with our back end stuff, but really just from your strengths perspective, right? From the business perspective. So mm-hmm. from January to now, not even a year in, I think it is really, really commendable on just the amount of progress that was made from somebody who came in knowing absolutely zero or close to zero about real estate, right? Um, at least real estate, uh, all of the stuff that goes into real estate investing, right? right. Flipping, calling, all, all of this stuff, and then being to where you are now with the skill set you have now. I think if anybody took half the effort that Colin has put in over the past eight months into really getting to understand and put their head down and, and find a way to succeed in this business, they would because the the effort the growth that we've seen from you like going from not knowing anything in real estate to now has been amazing at least watching from my perspective how has it felt for you with that growth over the past eight months i mean it's been awesome i think it's been really really cool and i think uh uh, easy hack for anybody you know and not just for real estate but like for life the easiest way to get ahead in my opinion is to be around other people who are already doing it you know, like if you want to get better at math, hang out with other people who are good at math. You know, you want to get good in the gym, hang out with other people who are good in the gym. In this case, I found a, a great team who is really good at real estate, which made getting good at real estate just natural because that was what I was with. You know, I wasn't having to uh, reinvent the wheel. So I think that that would be what I would offer to anyone else listening to this. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to. I feel this is going to be kind of a weird podcast because I feel like we're going to toot your horn a lot and you're not somebody who really likes when we hype you up, but it's really hard to not hype you up. I wanted, I want to kind of go back and, and ask too, you were working with a revenue, uh, development company or revenue mm-hmm. growth company. Yeah. You had reached out to us because you had found some interest in investing yourself. You said, you right. know, this is what my thought process is. Sure. You know, our family wants to find success this way. Yep. You know, was it, I never really even got to talk to you about this. How hard was it making the decision, you know, to actually change a career path towards it? Because investing in real estate, you don't have to be, you know, full-time day job real estate. You can invest and still be in something else. But it seemed like you really actually wanted to make the leap. And now, obviously, you're a year in. It seems like you're pretty happy. We have active conversations. But how did that feel getting into the business? Yeah, it was very... I mean, it was difficult. You know, I think a lot of that's personality driven. Um, I think that's an easier jump for some people to make than for others. As you kind of mentioned, it was absolutely the right move for me, for our family, especially with the way this year has gone. I know for a lot of people, not just us, it's been 2022 has been a crazy year. 
Um, so it's been a really, really good blessing for our family to do that. But it was a difficult decision uh, because, you know, in the W-2 world in general, you know, things are much more clear cut. They're much, you know, there's a straightforward way to, to move forward. And once you kind of leave that, the world is your oyster, which is both, you know, there's no ceiling and there's no floor. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's definitely a different it's definitely a different thing. It was a difficult decision to make. And, it, you know, in a lot of ways it still is. You know, I I'm confident intellectually that I've made the right decision. But every once in a while, I'm still like, man. You know, am I crazy? Like, what am I thinking doing this? You know? Yeah. So for sure. Well, uh, you're not alone in that. Kate yeah, and yeah. I still have those thoughts. And you I see that you yeah. even see where we're at four yeah. years down the line. Exactly. Um, you've always been really a go getter. You've done well in all your previous jobs. It seems you've you've established good positions. Uh, I, I doubt I could find an employer who didn't enjoy having you on their team. I know that we've been really, really happy with the way that you've, you know, Every time you've had an opportunity to take something, you try to go as far as you can, and then you come back and ask for help. You know, um, what kind of growing pains did you feel like you really struggled with when you first started? I think I had a lot of resistance to picking up the phone. <laughs> I think a lot of people who've ever tried to, um, you know, call, even not complete strangers, but just call new people consistently on the phone, I just had a lot of resistance to it. Um, and a lot of that has just been resolved just by doing it, you know, and it's still not completely resolved. There's still some calls where I'm like, ah, God, <laughs> I'm with you. and I'm sure that probably never yeah. goes away completely. Uh-uh. I think it just probably improves, but definitely never goes away. I'd say that was probably the hardest thing. Um, but I think for me, um, I'm not exactly an introvert, um, but I have many introverted qualities. So it's been actually a huge growth experience to just push through that and just be like, you know what? I don't want to make the call. It may not go perfect, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to get better. And as long making the call is like three quarters of the battle, you know, like it's actually what you say matters, but not nearly as much as just picking up the phone. So yeah. without a question, I think that was the hardest piece for me. And you have a family too, which makes it really difficult that you have all these draws working from home. You know, unlike us, you don't have an office to go to. That that had to have been part of the struggle too, no? Uh, for this year, absolutely. It has been an absolutely crazy year. Um, but you know, despite that, finding that consistency to even you know you know even if it's two hours a day is transforming. You know, it's you just can't give up when life gets in the way. Yeah. So I'm curious. You've said right, and it's funny you you mentioned getting over the hurdle of just hopping on the phone and making the freaking calls because that's what we tell people all the time, right? The one of the lowest barriers to entry to getting started in this business is literally hopping on the phone, sitting down, getting in the zone and making the freaking calls, which 90% of people don't even want to do in the first place. What has been on on the contrary, what has been some of your favorite parts of going through um, you know, learning this whole process that is real estate investing? Yeah, I think, you know, I've kind of hit on a, just a little bit. I think it's been a huge growth experience and I enjoy growth. I think, you know, all Everybody is driven to, to to really enjoy growth to some extent, uh, but me especially so. So I've really enjoyed that. Um, I've also really enjoyed, um, you know, and it, I, I love how there's like tangible activities and metrics that we can like look at. And it's kind of like a nerd that I really enjoy that. And I, I think for a lot of people that can be highly motivating just seeing like, hey, you know, I, you know, last week I made 30 calls. This week I made 32. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, uh, that's something I really enjoy. Um, I guess I'd be more about sales than about real estate. Um, I guess to answer your question for real estate specifically, 
I think that there's so much about this asset class that is just not understood by mainstream academia that I didn't understand um, that is really exciting, that makes it a unique opportunity for the average American to get ahead uh, that, you know, honestly, most people just don't know about. Yeah. Well, you went, so, you know, touching on your past, you went to West Point, you were in wrestling in high school, you have always been a competitor, you are now out of the rat race of working your ass off to get a small raise. Now you're in the business where you and I and Cade were talking, you know, yesterday, and it's totally within striking distance for you to buy a house a month, you know? Right. And I think that's something that probably really speaks to you. Would that be right? Absolutely. And especially when you understand the significance of a house, you know, let's say even a cheap house, let's say a $100,000 house, the significance of that house versus an equivalent, you know, let's say $50,000 in stocks. Once you understand that the the way those two things operate and the different amounts of freedom that those two things offer, it becomes a, a totally different paradigm shift. Yeah. And it's really cool working with you because you are somebody who's also, you know, you, you enjoy the data. You've always been, um, very good at handling modeling and things of that sort. You you know, that was the first thing you did for us. It's been really helpful for us to be able to do our team meetings, which you suggested where we look at the insights page that you built. Right. And just like you said, where you, you developed a lot, like tracking the numbers, you know, your timing joining our team couldn't have been better. You know, we're coming into a market shift and being able to see, you know, where our roadblocks are in our pipeline and that kind of stuff has been very, very helpful. And, and that previous knowledge really is shining through well, and thank helping. You. So, thank you. Thank Glad you. Glad that. Yeah. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, you can find me through Scott and Cade. I could probably help you with something similar depending on which CRM you're choosing. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk on, too, because it's very easy in this business. We know a lot of people um, where and that there's two sides to the coin here, right? Like jump in, figure it out, go and do it, right? Which we have always said, you don't get caught in the analysis paralysis. Just go out, do the stuff you know works and just get it done, right? But then being able to take that, how do you grow from that point, right? And really thinking from it from a business perspective instead of just kind of like a, I don't want to say hobby, but kind of like, hey, I can go flip a house or I can go wholesale a house and it's pretty simple, right? It might not be easy, but it's, it's pretty simple. But then looking at it through the lens that Colin has helped us see through from really the business perspective, right? How does a CRM tie into that? Um, like Colin, you were talking about the numbers. We were just preaching, uh, this on another call the other day is you've got to be keeping track of all of those numbers, because if there is, you know, at, somewhere in your business where something's not working right you're not um closing as many deals or you're not doing something you've got to look back and and see what the numbers are thinking right x amount of leads x amount of appointments x amount of contracts x amount of deals so i think that's really important for people who might be in that space where hey i've closed a couple deals or um you know i'm kind of doing all right but how do i take that next shift i think looking at it through this lens and applying some of these practices you've helped us with is going to be essential. Right. I have a good analogy, I think, that may help people who are trying to wrap their head around that. Like, hey, when does data really matter? When should modeling, you know, when does that really add value to your business? If you think about it like a ship, we're trying to go from New York to London, England. At first, the only thing that matters is that the ship is moving. 
because you try to turn that rudder when the ship is stalled, it does nothing. Your ship just stays exactly where it is. You know, you could put all the, and think of that rudder like your data, because it really is, or, or that rudder is really more like your decision and your, your, your controls are like your data. Um, so once your ship is moving, and that data gives you the information, hey, should I push that rudder to the left or to the right to make where I'm trying to go of London? But, you know, take that even a further step back. If you don't know that you're trying to get to London, you know, that movement may not even be helpful. So, <laughs> but I, I think it's a good analogy for those of you who are yeah. trying to wrap your head around, hey, you know, when should I start investing in data? And really the question is as soon as you have movement, but that doesn't mean you need to invest heavily in it. Even the most simple metrics can be absolutely business transforming. Yeah. I want to jump into that a little bit, but let's, before we jump into that, let's chat a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like. Sure. You know, I shared with you that our podcast, our whole goal is to help new investors who are trying to get into the business, understand how you do it. You're somebody who I think has done it the right way. Um, You know, you, you joined us a year ago. Now that you're a year deep, your tasks are very different than when you first started. Right. Kind of what, is, what does it look like? Because you're not even doing this necessarily eight hours a day like sure. how a lot of the people probably listening are doing. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So I actually do half my time is freelancing, uh, which is helping people understand that data problem, helping people with project management. And the other half is managing leads. Um, so that's really what my day-to-day looks like. When I started managing leads, uh, really, the only th- the, what I was doing was basically training myself by making those calls and saying, "Yes, this is a lead worth talking to, Scott Cade. No, this is not a lead worth talking to." Now, really, what I'm doing is I am trying to take a lead, move them through a set number of of sales stages. We're trying to take a raw, unfiltered lead and move them as far as we can. Um, is really what I'm trying to do until at some point often they'll be handed off to Scott or to Cade to make an appointment and to actually physically view the lead. Though with any luck, we'll even get better where that will become unnecessary. Right. Uh, but, you know, we still have lots of room to grow there. Well, and yeah, and I mean, that's a really, really succinct way of saying what you do. Um, you know, right now, how often, how many hours are you spending working, talking to motivated buyers or motivated sellers? I would say probably between two and a half and four and a half, probably averaging about three and a half. Uh-huh. Typically about, probably, that's probably about what I'm doing a day. And, and in that time, you're talking to how many people? I would say, depending on how many people answer the phone, that's typically, that's typically about 30 to 35 phone calls. It's wow. three and a half hours. Yeah. Because um, you, you'll have one phone call that'll take 30 minutes and you'll have, you know, 10 phone calls that won't answer. Um, and then obviously all the other ones in between. So I, I, yeah, the rough numbers there, I think that's probably about right. 30 to 35 motivated sellers that have typically already at least talked to at least a cold caller. So yeah. not completely raw leads. And you're doing this five days a week, four right. weeks a month. You yep. know, you've had moments where obviously your family's dealt with an interstate move, which we can talk right, about. Right. You've had your own um, personal family things that you had to deal with, right. which, you know, life always gets in the exactly. way. But, I, you know, I, I want to, you know, bring that to people's attention. You know, uh, Jason uh, Pritchard brought up in Growth Track last month when we were talking, uh, you know, that a lot of people get in this business thinking that it's like, just going to click like that on day one. <laughs> and he, he had an analogy. He was like, do you think a fucking surgeon walks yeah, in yeah. and on day one knows how to take a knife and open up a patient? <laughs> and he said, you know, they put in the reps. And I think yeah. your success is not a surprise. You've right. been a competitor who likes tracking the numbers. Right. And each week, 
and, and I posted it on Facebook, you can see Colin's number of phone calls skyrocketing. And we know inevitably that leads to better performance on the phone, more deals closed, and more income made. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I, I remember listening to some of these calls that Kate and Scott were making, uh, December, January timeframe. Um, and I had listened to a lot of sales calls before. You know, I came from sales and marketing background. And listening to these calls, I was like, wow, there is so much nuance going here compared to a typical uh, SaaS or you know, software as a service sales call. Like the amount of nuance that was going into this, I was absolutely blown away. Um, you know, I had enough background to know that what I was listening to took an uncommon amount of skill. Um, and like anything worthwhile, I never expected that. Like, hey, yeah, I'm going to be able to make this phone call. You know, like a pro the first time. You know, and even now, you know, I, it, it takes hundreds, thousands of reps to get that kind of nuance and skill in you know to, to talking to someone. Well, yeah. you you actively blow kids in my mind when we when we sit and listen on calls because you are not somebody who likes to stagnate. You're you're bringing new value to the team. Like I'm trying to think of what the question was you asked the other day, but we were on a, a team call and you took a call and you didn't mute yourself and and we could hear you talking and you asked a question to somebody. I mm. think it was your deal on 140 uh, highway 145. Oh, or, I hope not. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. it was it was a deal it was like that. O Street, right? Oh, that's it was. What it was. Yes. And you yeah. were asking questions and I was typing to Cade in a text thread and I was like, that was a really good question. Like, <laughs> I've never thought to ask that. And it's cool to hear that because, you know, yeah. like you said, it's it, all of this is nuanced questioning. Yeah. And, you know, you've put in the effort to really learn. How do I respond to this question? Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, you've got the perfect book behind you. Never split the difference. Chris Voss talks about how listening is like a martial art. And I've really learned that more and more. I've always considered myself a pretty good active listener to everybody um, just because it's a good thing to do. And I've realized, wow, I am not that good at listening. <laughs> like you have to be so good at listening. I mean, knowing how to respond is more important is important, too. But really seeing like, all right, what are they really trying to say here? You know, if they're saying, ah, I don't know, maybe I want to sell, maybe I don't. I mean, they could be trying to say a whole bunch of things. And depending on how they're saying it, what you said before, you know, all of that matters significantly into understanding understanding them. And once you, you know, I, I've really kind of broken down my own personal sales paradigm into two things. The first part is listening. That's it. I need to understand them. And the second part is problem solving. Mm -hmm. Once I understand them fully, we can work together on a solution that might fit their needs. Right. Right. And it's really those two things. And it's really that first part that's way more significant. And one of my biggest mistakes, and I think most people's biggest mistakes when they hop on the phone is you're trying to jump to number two before you really solve number one. And it's really hard not to do that because you, you hear these people all the time and it's, it's easy to forget that they're unique and they have their own unique problems and their own unique you know, situation that they're trying to, trying to deal with. Um, but so I, I would offer that as well, you know, that, that very simple two-part paradigm, hey, active listening, then problem solving. And a good way to transition between the two, I was telling Kevin this the other day, is a summary, just like they say in Never Split the Difference. Once you can summarize their problem, their feelings, their situation in a way that they agree with, then you can work on solving the problem. Yeah. Dude, that is so freaking good, dude. There is no way I could sit here and verbalize that, dude. Colin, that is so freaking good, man. That, that is I, so good. Kate and I are stepping down from the podcast. <laughs> I think, and I want to dive deeper a little bit on that because number one, um, just listening, right? And there's a lot that goes into that. We could do, yeah. like you mentioned, yeah. the book, Never Split the Difference. Yeah. We could go on a whole tangent. Right. But I remember even us when we started 
you know, kind of the, the same way you did, just hopping on the phones and, and talking to people, right? And I always, like, just hear, hear Jason, like, uh, phrase the question or ask the question and then shut sit up. Sit down and shut up, right? Shut up. I'm shut so up. bad at that. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and and it's, it's easier said than done because yeah. I yeah. even catch myself on phone calls now, like, trying to jump. Th- I'm like, rein it back. Exactly. Shut up and listen because I think, like you mentioned, Everybody has the same spiel. All of, you know, whether it's male, calling, uh, the spiel is the same, right? All cash, uh, no commissions. We cover all the closing costs, right? These people that we're calling, these leads that you're talking to, um, you know, th- they've heard that same thing from everybody, right? So how are yeah. you going to differentiate differentiate yourself on the phone compared to all the other phone calls they're getting, all the other mailers they're getting, right? And I think it's that piece that you said how good of a listener are you and how right. good can you verbalize and summarize and reiterate those things to the other person, the, the, the prospect to make them feel understood. Right. Yeah. And I think for those of you who do have trouble picking up the phone, doing that will make it feel so much more comfortable and natural as it has with me, because then when you offer something like, you know, let's say, you know, they want 200,000 and the most you can offer is 150. It takes all the sting out of giving that offer after you've said, Hey, you know, here's the problem you're trying to solve. You know, like here's, you know, here's what you're up against. Here's what your life looks like. And they say, yeah, that's right. And then you can say, look, we can offer you $150,000. Like, what do you think? Or like, you know, is, is that even something you'd consider? It takes all of the sting out of it because they know that you've listened to them and you're not just like, it's weird. Like it it almost doesn't make sense. Like it's hard to believe that that would just like make it so much more comfortable to, to give somebody a low offer, but it does because they feel that you've listened and they're willing to say, you know what? I completely understand where you guys are coming from, but that won't work for me. Or they'll say, yeah, maybe I'll consider it. Yeah. But either way, it just becomes simple and natural to do rather than feeling like, you know, really difficult and painful. Yeah. And I know that you've taken a lot of this stuff also into your personal life of understanding and listening. And you've shared a couple stories of your kids <laughs> actually closing you on sales. Oh and gosh. I think that's uh, that's funny because you're yeah. somebody who you like to talk about the things that you're learning. And so, sure. it, of course, it makes sense that your kids who are, you know, two and four are out here uh, making sales on you the oh same way gosh. you might. Yes. Yes. My uh, Beth close to four year old, she has discovered the, she's really discovered the art of mirroring. (laughs) Anytime she hears something that she doesn't like, her first instinct is to mirror it. Be like, Beth, it's bedtime. Bedtime? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Throws it right back in your face. Exactly. And then then you find yourself explaining it, even though you know exactly what a mirror is and exactly what she's doing. Like, you just can't help yourself because it works. (laughs) It works, man. It does. Especially against somebody like yourself who your goal is to be, you know, explaining and like, this is is what's going to happen. Well, you're an authority figure. So bedtime? (laughs) That simple mirror. My gosh, it's so good. It's so funny. Well, let's make a, a quick transition here. Earlier, you were talking about data and how you can make it a rudder and you can control the the direction of your ship the same way that you use the ship analogy you know you can't stop a cruise ship without time right and you can't Mm -hmm. change the direction of a big ship without consistent and concerted effort sure yeah well right yeah right now you know the current's pushing everybody south right everybody's money is slowing down right everybody's deal flow is slowing down because that's what the fed is making happen right You've been an instrumental part in our business and making it not just a hobby, like Cade said, not just, hey, I'm a solopreneur trying to make it work. You've been a really key factor for saying, 
let's design visual representations of what's happening in your business Mm -hmm. so that as a team, we can talk about where our roadblocks are. Right. You want to share a little bit. I know that you freelance, you help other agents and investors figure this out. Can you talk through a little bit about what kind of data you model when you're looking at big decisions and, and how you would recommend, you know, structuring that so you can make good decisions? Yeah, I think, you know, to keep this simple, because, you know, keeping the Pareto principle in mind, you know, 80% of your value is going to come from 20% of things. So, you know, to really focus on that for this conversation here, because there's so much to unpack there. I think the most important thing you can do is to visually depict every step of your business, like full stop. What do you mean by that? So every process, everything you do, visually depict it. And the reason why, um, it takes this, you know, this ethereal idea and it makes it concrete and you're going to immediately see where the problems are. Even if there are no problems, you're going to understand it better. You're going to be able to communicate it better. And I like to use a tool called Miro.com. It's a free online whiteboard that you can use for a block that represents each step and just show each step, every step of what you're trying to do. And that is the easiest way by far to understand your business better um, from a process-based perspective. I'm not talking data here. It's just you know, simple process-based stuff. It will add so much value to your business. As a freelancer, I do it to every client that I talk to. And I cannot tell you how, how often they're like, wow, you know, I, I, I have 100 employees. Like, I have never thought about how my business runs. And visually depicting it is the way to do it. Gotcha. So then once you visually depict it, obviously in our business, we went through, we designed out, okay, how, what forms of marketing are we doing? Right. How do those flow into our CRM? Exactly. Who handles every piece of that follow-up? What happens once we have a successful sale? Right. How does that work? You know, what, what are the next things that you really focus on? Like for us, our business is really simple. So it might be easy for you to just reference how we track it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the next step after that is to start looking. So you always want to think three things, implementation, process, then tool, right? Implementation means what can you actually do? If you have a team, what is your team going to be willing to do? Then you think, hey, can I have a process that's going to, you know, how do I optimize my processes? The last thing you think is tool. Now, however, they're, they're highly related, right? So your tool is going to affect your process because you're limited. You can only do certain processes and certain tools. Um, and your process is going to affect implementation because your team's never going to want to do something that they hate. Uh, so you have to create something that they don't hate. Um, so the next thing that I would do is after you visually depict it, I would start thinking, how do we actually implement this thing? Is there a tool that will allow me to create what we're already doing into a piece of technology that is going to allow us to do it. It's how I came to pipe drive, which isn't the right solution for everyone, but I think it's been an incredible solution for, for, for what we've been looking to. It's really how I came to that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Pipe drive has yeah. been a godsend. We've, we've gone through many different CRMs, we've mm-hmm. gone through three or four. Pipe drive has been such a blessing because as two people who run two separate businesses, a sales business and an investing business, we can keep that data pure and we can right. really understand what's going on within our business and where do we expect money to be coming from and where right. do we see money not making a return? Yeah. And even, you know, that's huge and that's really high level stuff, which is 
typically the most important. But, you know, even at like a day to day tactical level, there's never any question about, you know, what's the next follow up or who's making the next call. You know, like it, it, there's hardly ever that, that that question, which is so valuable from an efficiency standpoint. And with five of us now yeah. operating within the team and probably more coming. Right. You know, we have we have uh, four or five. Do we, we have five outbound marketers. We have a, mm-hmm. a manager. We have an admin. We have a second part time admin. And then we have a leads manager like right. you. Right. And then two guys like me and Cade, you know. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Knowing who's in charge of making the next touch is almost as important yes. as where is the money coming right, from. Right, right. To go to your question, because I see that you're, you're definitely driving at that. You know, it, Let's say you know, you've done this, you've visually depicted your processes, which I, once again, do not skip over. Do that. Visually depict your processes. You've looked at, hey, how do we optimize this as a process? Is it something we can implement? Is this the right tool? We've answered all those questions. You find a tool that's going to work really well for you. Now you're thinking, hey, all right, my ship's moving, I'm making calls. What, what data matters? What do I need to look at? I always recommend starting bottom of funnel, working top of the funnel. What do I mean by that? It's very simple. Follow the money. Start with your closed deals and work backwards. The, the most important reporting you have is the closest reporting to a closed deal. So basically, hey, the first thing I wanna see is how many deals am I closing? What are they worth? Those are the first questions I wanna answer. I want to then work backwards all the way to marketing. I want to touch marketing last. Now, there are exceptions to this. You know, these are general rules of thumb that are, you know, you're going to work 90% of the time. There's times where this is just not true. Um, but, you know, just for generally, hey, you're, you're making calls, you're making progress, uh, but, you know, you're trying to turn this into an actual business. Start bottom of the funnel, close deals, and work your way back to marketing. Mm-hmm. So, Colin, I want to transition a little bit now, too, because... Obviously, back in, you know, about a year ago, helping us with some back and stuff, January, starting on the phones. I want to commend you because you also just made, you know, a recent personal leap into kind of the next phase, right? So, you know, making all these calls, um, helping with all of our back and stuff, getting it dialed in. But now you are actually actively looking and prospecting for your own properties out in North Carolina. So I want you to elaborate a little bit on one, why, you know, what, what made you even want to kind of transition into that and two, how that has been going. Has it lived up to what, what you thought it's going to be like? (laughs) What, what does that look like for you? Okay. Yeah. Great, great questions here. Um, well, you know, I, I was fascinated by real estate, you know, October, November, 2021, I began to realize the levers that this asset class has that you know I, I never learned about in school despite doing some serious study about economics. So I was fascinated with the asset class. A good place to start is wholesaling because you get you I do deal analysis literally every day. You know, I talk to sellers. Like all of that has really built my real estate muscle. Um, obviously I still got a long way to go, but you know, it gave me a lot of those fundamental skills you need to succeed at real estate. But I realized, you know, wholesaling is fantastic, and it's really my ticket to short-term flexibility and freedom, which has been a godsend for our family, given this crazy year we've had. But it has not really unlocked the potential of the asset class of real estate. And it can really only be done through buying and holding our properties. And there's a lot of reasons why why I'm really bullish on North Carolina. I think that's beyond the scope of this conversation here. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have a partner who's willing to, who has heard of my story a little bit, who's willing to put uh, capital behind 
um, some properties that I might be able to find. And so far, I have been absolutely blown away with how uh, we don't have any closed deals yet, but very strong pipeline finding things. So, so far, it's been really good. How long have you been doing it? What do you think, Kate? Maybe a month? Month, yeah. Yeah, about, about a, a month. month in. Yeah, we, about a month. We always talk about in real estate, you get paid 30, 60, 90 days yep. down the line. Yeah. So the fact that your pipeline's growing, yep. I mean, you've done this enough. You understand that the right. pipeline you build today is what pays you in six months. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Three, yeah three, three months, I would say, is probably the soonest from what I've seen in our... Well, yeah. And, and especially in the investing pipeline, right. it, it can be a little longer. The sales deal pipeline is a little bit quicker. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so you've had to make a lot of transitions. I know you, you keep touching that it was a crazy year for you. It was, yeah. How has it been, you know, having the flexibility? Has that, Have you found it to be more difficult, you know, having to hold yourself accountable? You're somebody, I would guess, holds yourself very to a very high standard to begin with. But how, how have you enjoyed not having that boss looking over your shoulder. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it, it's not the right move for everybody. And I, you know, I, I don't mean that like, not to sound like it's superior at all. Like certain things, people work better in different environments. I work better in a result based environment. I don't want to be in a um, activity or time based environment. Um, and that's just not true for everybody. It doesn't make anybody different or better. It's just, you know, just people are different. You know, everybody's different. Right. And I think that the biggest advantage to what I'm doing with Scott and Cade is that it is a results-based environment. It's a results-based environment that has compassion, that has empathy, it has understanding. It is not a results-based environment that is just, you know, dog-eat-dog, you know, or cutthroat competition. Um, And that result-based environment means that what is produced matters more than the input. Which, get, which has given me the ability during this really incredible year, uh, really crazy year, to really focus on creating good outputs, even if my input in terms of time hasn't always been what I would have liked it to be. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I, I think a lot of people come up with a lot of excuses. You've, you are one of the people, I think, that has had a lot of opportunity to get out. Have you, have you struggled with, uh, you know, wanting to quit? Have you, have you had those days where you said, why the hell... Am I going to keep doing this if my family needs me to do these things and I need to actually, you know, make this and you don't have, I mean, I don't know if you don't mind if I disclose this, but please, you don't have please. any guaranteed income. Right. Your income right. is based strictly on results, like exactly. what you just said. And, yeah. you know, having no safety net has to be scary with two young kids and interstate move and, you know, everything else in life. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I would say that there's risk everywhere. You know, we, we, we hear stories about layoffs every day. Um, and I just have infinite trust in the team that I'm working with and in myself too, um, to deliver results, even if it doesn't mean today, you know, maybe we have a couple bad months in a row, you know, even, but I have no doubt that long-term it's the right decision as far as day to day. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> There's been plenty of days where I'm like, Oh God, just, especially when I have a, like a seller, maybe it's a conversation for a different day, like highway 140, where he's just like sucking your soul dry. <laughs> <laughs> Weird phrasing, but yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, you know, where they're just taking so much, and you're just like, "Gosh, he's third time he's calling again today." Yeah, I, I need to answer. Deal's almost done. You yeah. Know. Uh, <laughs> well, and hopefully it gets made up for by the deals like Silver Tip. You know, where course. things go well and they go quick. And, and what I will say is that there's nothing valuable in life that is easy. You know, like for for those of you who know me well, my long term ambition is to own my own cidery. Um, most businesses, in my opinion, fail because they're not good at sales and marketing. 
I think I came into working with Scott and Cade with a decent understanding of how the technicalities behind sales and marketing, like in, you know, not, not, not just in theory, but like, hey, how do you design a sales and marketing system? What I didn't know was how to go to in front of somebody and say, hey, buy my cider. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you know, and and part of that's a knowledge. I think more important than than even the knowledge component of that is the uh, is like the personal growth of just being comfortable with that. The confidence, exactly. Yeah, or yeah, or yeah. You know, even even if you felt confident, a lot of times it's just it's just uncomfortable. You know, and you have to be learned to. It, it's a skill you can grow. People think that like, oh yeah, I'm not just a hard worker. Hard work is a skill. You know, being uncomfortable, learning to be okay with that, that's a skill too. You can improve that, you can grow with that. That's not set in stone. You were not born with your ability to manage discomfort. You can improve that over time. Dude, you have been dropping so many bombs and so many gems. And I think what's, what's even, you know, really the cool part about it is a year ago, you were our, our like main audience base, right? The people who are looking to get started in buying, selling and investing in real estate. And, you know, I'll reiterate what we were talking about a little bit earlier, just the amount of growth that has been, you know, that you have experienced in the past eight months is just, it's admirable. What in you, you've, you may have answered this question, you know, in a bunch of things, like I was saying, drop, dropping gems across the whole podcast. But for somebody who is out there, who's listening, uh, maybe they closed the deal, maybe they haven't yet, but right. still really trying to get started in buying, selling, or specifically investing in real estate. Uh-huh. What do you think has been the, if you could say one thing right. that has helped you the most, or the one thing that would be most important for somebody like that to get not only to where you are now, but where you are wanting to go the, the track that our companies are on, what would that be? Your tribe. You know, I think there's a lot of that can go into that, but I think, you know, if I had to choose one thing and I don't, I don't, I only say that because, you know, I'm trying to be practical. I'm trying to be, uh, you know, stick with the realm of the easily understandable. I think mindset's more important than your tribe. Like I think you could do it if your mindset was just, you know, at a different level. The problem is, is that people think that because your mindset isn't something tangible, it's just something you can just wake up and change one day. You know, we're, we're in the reality. I think it'd be most, it'd be easier for most people to get a PhD in physics than to change your fundamental perspective and viewpoint of looking at the world. Um, so, I mean, how do you hack that? I mean, how do you change the fact that the way you view the world is extraordinary, extraordinarily sticky? It's very, very hard to change, even if you're making deliberate efforts to. The easiest way is to be around other people who are already doing it, your mm-hmm. tribe, right? So for, you know, for myself, for most normal human beings out there who get ahead by, you know, by hard work, you have to find people who are willing, who are already doing it, who are understanding it. And it doesn't have to be a physical relationship, like a good podcast. You know, you can get to know the people on that podcast and their story and what they're doing. That can be part of your tribe. Um, but it, it, being around that, I think, is the most essential piece for people just starting out who don't have, you know, like a, a, a superhuman ability to shift their way they view the world. Dude, I want to I want to promote your freelancing. <clears throat> we have people on the podcast because people like you are great inspirations for new investors. Yeah. We also have people who listen to our podcast who are doing way more than us, but right. who tune in because they know that it's good to hear sometimes from somebody new. Right. You're somebody I think could who could bring some extremely extremely good value to somebody who might be doing somewhere in that 10 to 100 deals a year. Right. Can you explain a little bit how they would reach out to you and and the best way for them to get in contact 
with you. Right. Okay. The easiest ways to find me on Upwork is where I do my freelancing outward, uh, fr- freelancing out of. Just go to Upwork.com, search for Colin Dorner, and you'll find me right away. Or if you search for ClickUp, which is the primary project management software that I use, I'll be pretty close to the top. Uh, I've done some good SEO on it, so you'll be able to find me pretty quickly. That's the best way. Um, you can also reach out to me by my email, Colin at EarlyBirdInv.com, all one word. That'd be the next the next thing to do. And I think to to add on to that a little bit. Um, I think really the target audience here, you know, the people who I think I could help a lot of people in a lot of different ways, who I could help the most would be someone who is operating a successful real estate or started to be somewhat successful, but the business is really based around them and not the business. So it's based around, you know, like I've made some calls, I've done some things and you want to start looking at, Hey, how do I take this from, you know, like a, you know, a a Colin Dorner, uh, you know, thing and turn it into an actual business. And that is where I can start to add a lot of value. Yeah, we're going to have to share this podcast with a lot of people mm-hmm. because Colin, we've talked you up to a lot of investors and you've had the privilege of meeting a couple of our friends. Yeah. And yeah. I, I bet you laugh because you can find a lot of success in real estate without doing it perfectly right uh, from a business sense. And I think, right, right. you know, and it's a very forgiving it business. It shocked me when I, when, <laughs> when I first saw, like, I was like, wait, you've been this successful and you were using these, like, I was like, I was like speechless with like <laughs> yeah. how successful you're able to be because uh, real estate is such a powerful asset class that it is very forgiving. You don't need to be a master of business. Like if you go into like you, cr- you try to create an app that you're going to sell at iTunes or Google Play, the level of competition and your savviness with these concepts and marketing and sales you have to do to be just moderately successful is so much higher than with real estate. If you start applying these well-known, well-researched principles of sales of marketing to real estate, I mean, you're going to be just wildly more successful than the people who don't. Dude, I'm with it. We are so pumped that you came on the podcast. I am grateful that you are in Fresno. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people are going to be sad that they didn't get to meet you in person (laughs) because they've gotten to meet you over the phone. But I think uh, you are somebody who can be very, very influential on people's business, even from afar. And we will have to have you come back on a couple times to to talk about some of the more (laughs) intricate thoughts that you've put into practice. Of course. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, you guys, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Pursuit of Property podcast. We will see you guys next week. 